Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back to the Conservative Review podcast here at our Northern Command Center in Baltimore, Maryland. Yes, this is not a practical joke. Our Northern Command Center is in the blank hole of Baltimore, um, right outside of the city. Now, we try to adhere to the FCC rules here, so I won't name the real name of the city. We'll just call it the rat hole. But anyway, really glad to be back. Our first full week here, video format. Uh, Thanks to our office in D.C. for really setting things up professionally. I know you guys sent me a lot of good notes. dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Tweet me at RM Conservative. I really appreciate your feedback, um, how to make things better. But we are very much excited about this full week here. Now, one thing I'm not excited about is Al Sharpton is visiting my hometown here. Just a couple miles. Uh, we're just outside of northwest Baltimore. We're in the county, uh, Baltimore County. We commonly call Baltimore City just plain the city. Or again, something that rhymes with it. Uh, because uh, let me tell you, you, you don't want to co- go a couple miles from where I live. and. I know I said in the intro to the show, our new intro about not focusing on soap operas, focusing on policy outcomes. Tons of things have happened over the weekend on immigration and the courts are two big issues. Gosh, I could just talk about those two issues forever and there'll be enough ammo uh, in my arsenal. But I'd be remiss not to comment on the latest soap opera because I believe this soap opera is actually different. This really is or does have the potential to have policy outcomes that speak to the foundation of this country. Do we want a nation as our founders envisioned it? Or do we want a nation that will be like West Baltimore, like Representative Elijah Cummings district? Now, actually, it's kind of funny, just so you know, Baltimore is such a cesspool that it's gone down from a million people to less than 600,000, the only major East Coast city like that uh, that's been around forever, and yet it's now under 600,000 people. So a lot of you are probably thinking, well, 600,000 people, that's you know well under the threshold to fit into just one congressional district. Yet guess what? They spliced Baltimore into four different districts, so it's not just Elijah Cummings, so they could spread the wealth of um, the beautiful things that go on in the city to the other parts of the state and make them suffer along with us. So Al Sharpton's coming up and, um, you know, he has a history of doing what he does best, stoking riots. Now in Baltimore, what happens when you stoke riots? I think all of, you know, if you remember from 2015, the mayor, and that was like what, two, three mayors ago. Cause the previous one was about to get indicted and she ran away Um, That's how much of a basket case this place is. Uh, But anyway, she said she was going to give them space to destroy. Well, let me tell you, growing up here, I could tell you. That is all they do space to destroy. See, I would like to carry one of these. Outside, unfortunately, it's my H&K VP9. We all love our German uh, nine millimeters. And let me tell you something. I can only carry that at home. And often on days like this, I'll actually carry it in my home office. Because, you know, I got my door shut here, semi soundproof. I can't hear what's going on. Well, during the day, even in the suburban areas, guess what's on the loose? Criminal justice reform, a.k.a. juveniles and youths with six felony convictions within six months who never serve a day in jail. And they're out robbing, robbing houses, uh, breaking into cars, larceny, stuff like that. And this is the predicament those of us who live here are confronted with. So on the one hand. You cannot carry a gun. All right. No one's allowed to carry a gun. But on the other hand, the criminals are allowed to carry guns. So we have 340, 350 homicides a year in this country. In, in the city. And let me tell you something. There are about 50 to 70 more homicides in Baltimore per year than in New York. 
and New York is 14 times the size. Okay? There are more homicides in raw numbers, not just the rate. Now, the homicide rate here is 56 per 100,000. Now, we're all told people are fleeing Central America. They're fleeing violence. Now, not that violence is a criterion for asylum. It has to be an individualized persecution, not generic uh, violence. But violence has actually been going down there while they're going up in some of the sanctuary cities here. So while the homicide rate is 56 per 100,000 here, guess what? In El Salvador, it's 51. In Honduras, it's 40. And in Guatemala, it's 22.5 and going down. So in other words, the homicide rate in Baltimore City is more than twice that of Guatemala. Think about that for a minute. So somehow the elite media thinks that they have a winning issue here. Trump says the sky is blue, a.k.a. Baltimore is a rat hole. And by the way, he was being very nice. I would deal with rats any day of the week rather than the criminals. I mean, rats don't usually kill you. But they thought that they got him. That's racist. We're going to win the election on saying, I'm a Democrat. I'm running for office. And let me tell you something. If I had a city, it would look like Baltimore. I mean, dude, what what planet do these people live in? Even the liberals here. I mean, this is a pretty Democrat area. Nobody thinks that this is a place to uh, admire or replicate the governing model here. But what is that governing model? Again, you can't carry a gun. Criminals could carry whatever they want. Criminal justice reform. So nobody serves time in jail. It's, and it's a sanctuary city. It's infested with drugs. It's one of the biggest drug overdose uh, areas, certainly with cocaine, um, more than anywhere in the country. Cartels, transnational gangs, you name it. But you cannot protect yourselves. The police have pretty much stepped back. They're not doing anything. The police are treated like criminals. The criminals are treated like heroes. So the police aren't going to be there for you. You can't protect yourself. That is what it's like to live in Baltimore City. Again, I live just outside the city, but on the northwest side in the county, very, very close, a couple miles away where some of this was going on. In fact, the hospital where I was born at was in the northwest part of the city. And uh, put it this way, that emergency room gets a lot of um, gunshot wounds coming in there. And, and again, you're not allowed to carry guns. Just just remember that. A couple, couple years ago, this was um, actually in July, two years ago, on and off since Freddie Gray, it's been the worst it's been in my entire life here. So two years ago, Freddie Gray was 2015. This is 2017. Things started to flare up even worse than during Freddie Gray. Okay. So now remember what that means in the suburbs. The murders still haven't come here. We get the robberies, the muggings, the car break-ins, home invasions. All the murders are in the inner city. So I just want to say something just for one moment. A lot of people suggest that being tough on crime is harming blacks. Now, we've said many times blacks have a much higher rate of crime than other um, demographics. But still, overwhelmingly, most blacks are not criminals. Most blacks are law-abiding citizens so the people you are hurting most by saying oh i don't want to so-called lock up black people is other black residents living in places like west baltimore the murders are all black pretty much now there's some hispanic thrown in because of the transnational gangs um but in baltimore in particular more so than chicago where there's a stronger element of transnational gangs uh jalisco and um the remnants of zetas and sinaloa here, it's it's mainly blacks getting killed. So that is the legacy of criminal justice reform. But anyway, things started to flare up here in the suburbs, got pretty bad. And it was so bad that at night you were scared to go out of your home. Again, this is right in the suburbs. People were scared to even throw out their trash at night. Not that the crime was limited to the night. We had, you know, broad daylight muggings and stuff like that. So I had to go out just for a half an hour one night. And it, it was it was just the worst week ever. I was really scared. Just to go to my own car. 
again, police collapsed. Technically, I'm under the jurisdiction of the county police, but it's only a couple blocks away from the city. And I was thinking, man, you know, why don't I just carry? I was going to take my VP9 here. You know, it's kind of clunky, but I like it. It's very accurate. I, I, you know, it's comfortable. And um, I know I'm going to get some comments from you guys that hate striker fired and only like hammer fired uh, pistols, but I'm a striker fired guy. So that's, that's just what I'm used to. I figured I'll carry it just, just to the car. Um, and I was really about to do it. Now, again, in Maryland, you can only carry in your home. And even in your home, as of 2013, you have to get a license to even own a gun. And you cannot, uh, you, you cannot purchase any magazine with more than 10 rounds in it. Now, I do have 15 rounds in, uh, in my H&K, but that is totally legal because, you know, you could pick it up in another state as long as you have it shipped to Virginia or Pennsylvania and then you go, you know, pick it up there. But you can't have it shipped to Maryland. So it's totally legal. But anyway, the thought did cross my mind to actually carry. But like every law abiding citizen, I was like, eh, you know, I'm not going to break the law. As much as I believe with all my heart that the law is freaking lawless. As I say many times on the show, Second Amendment, I hate calling it the Second Amendment because that connotes the fact that the right comes from the Bill of Rights. It doesn't. It's the right to bear arms. Bear arms. Anytime it says the, it uses the article of the on the Bill of Rights, it's the pre-existing right that existed as a natural right even before the Bill of Rights. Madison actually felt we didn't need a Bill of Rights, and he thought that that would kind of give the impression that the rights came from government. To protect your person, not just in your home. I mean, usually you need more protection on your person when you're walking the streets. It is a lawless law, but nonetheless, I didn't want to do it. I was too I was too squeamish about it. You know, right before then, I just heard a story. A guy down my block, he actually does have the rare concealed carry permit. Somehow, if you show that you have an axe murderer going after you in Maryland, they won't give you a concealed carry permit. But if you do show that you have a small business where you have cash deposits, then they'll give it to you. It's bizarre. That's the only thing for which they'll they'll give you the permit. So this guy has it, a um, neighbor of mine down the block. And he told me right around that time, two years ago, that one time he was in the Dunkin' Donuts and it was actually in the city, not in the county, across the city line. And a cop who was undercover sitting there must have seen him printing. Now, he was concealing pretty well, but a trained cop could see if you're you're printing on your on your hip and he was able to see a gun there. And he didn't have the registry on him to look up that he was a valid concealed carry permit holder. So he saw the guy get in his car. Saw his license plate, called it in. And I guess the cops were already on their way, even though they already confirmed, you know, he was you know, carrying it pursuant to state law. And the guy called the, the guy from the station who had his number, called him up and he said, look, cops are about to, to swarm you. Just pull over in the, in the shopping center. Just put your hands up and show your uh, concealed carry permit and everything will be fine. And lo, lo and behold, he was swarmed by five cops, five cop cars. So. I had this unsettling thought as I was, you know, contemplating whether to go against the law and carry for my own safety. I said, look, these vermin in this city could run loose all they want, commit six felonies, beat the hell out of people. I mean, you see Drudge has up every week Baltimore beatings. They're famous on the buses everywhere. There was just one last week. Everyone's beaten. And by the way, all these people are on drugs, too. So, you know, they they won't run away. They're not deterred by anything. The cops somehow will never be there for you if you're surrounded by that mob. Even after you're beaten. They won't be put away for a single day. But somehow, if you're a peaceful citizen who merely wants to exercise your unalienable right to carry. Somehow, believe me, the cops will be there to clamp down on you, to catch you. And believe me, once you're caught, you won't be a recipient of criminal justice reform. Oh, they'll throw the book at you. 
because that is what it's like to live in the Sodom and Gomorrah of the Baltimore rat hole. And again, it's not the rats that are the problem. I mean, the rats aren't where I live, but, you know, in the in the city, it's the criminals. You know, the Baltimore Sun, as we endearingly call the Baltimore scum here locally. They said to the president, well, we'd rather have a couple of vermin than someone who is one. Well, you know what? I'd rather a couple of vermin than a bunch of criminal people vermin who are able to beat and murder and maim people. And thanks to the very politicians that these vermin at the Baltimore scum support. I can't protect myself and I can't have the cops protect me either because they're scared. They're going to get prosecuted. And believe me, they do here, which is why they just stand back. You know. We don't believe here at the conservative review in no government. We believe in limited constitutional government, but there are certain very important functions of government. After all, we do have a constitution. We do have three branches. We do have local, state, federal governments. And the reason we have government is to protect us from to protect our liberties. It's not like, oh, government has to clamp down on your liberties as a necessary evil. No. We have government to protect your, your liberties because if you didn't have a government, you would have anarchy and then you have no liberty. The biggest infringement of liberty growing up was the restriction of movement. You can't go there. That's killer Kmart. Back in the days when we had Kmart, we called the one on Wabash Avenue here um, the killer Kmart because people were killed there. Close to that area, we have what we call Homicide Depot, a.k.a. Home Depot. And look, it's not their fault. It's just the location um, where people are killed there, too. This is not just being a gun enthusiast. I want to carry a gun. You really need it here. And precisely where you need it, you can't carry it. Their job on a local level is to protect you from domestic criminals. On a federal level to protect us from invaders, criminal aliens who come in this country that have no business being here and commit all sorts of crimes. You know, we have more child molestations. I'm not going to have time to talk about today, but thank you for emailing me all the cases you see that you suspect being committed by illegal aliens that are not being reported. As we noted last uh, last week on our Friday show, the media so badly wants to cover up. The crime problem and particularly the criminal alien problem. But that is the job of the federal government. Right now, we have a breakdown of that social compact, the social contract where we give government power and in return, they're obligated, obligated to protect us. No. If if Al Sharpton tomorrow stokes up a riot here. The mayor will give them space to destroy. They could do whatever they want. They won't be prosecuted. But if I would carry a gun just to protect myself from that. I would be prosecuted, even though I have the Constitution on my side. Heck, it's been nine years since the Heller decision in the Supreme Court, and Maryland is still thumbing its nose at that. So that's what it's like to live here in Baltimore. And by the way, one other point I just want to point out on on carrying guns. So, um, again, you know, this VP9, it is, you know, we got 15 15, uh, rounds here. It is unloaded, by the way. So just so you know, I'm not pointing a loaded gun at a camera. 15 rounds. It is totally legal to possess it. Um, But you cannot, at this point, purchase it or have it shipped anywhere in Maryland. Um, You could have it shipped elsewhere, which I did. Got it lawfully, and then I have it here. But a lot of times they say, why do you need more than 10 rounds, huh? Why do you need? What are you doing with it? Hey, buddy, I'll tell you, you come here to Baltimore and I'll tell you why you need more than 10 rounds. See, in Baltimore, we have a bunch of pathetic, loser, youth cowards living in the city. And again, I'm having trouble not saying the word that rhymes with it. We do want to adhere to FCC uh, regulations, even though we're not governed by it over the web. See, in Baltimore, all of these people are doped up on drugs because of the cartel smuggling. And because we have a sanctuary city, so it protects the drug smuggling network. So Baltimore is worse than anything else. Every one of these people, and that was the case with Freddie Gray. Like, if you're a cop, what are you supposed to do? These guys aren't responding. Even the little brains they might have to be deterred by something, they're not deterred. So if you draw your weapon, 
right? You, you, you draw your weapon right away. A normal person would back off. They're not going to back off. You're going to have to shoot them. And because they're doped up, um, you're going to have to shoot them a number of times. And because they're cowards and they travel in packs, they'll never, by the way, they'll never attack you. One guy. Notice these vid- videos. They'll have five guys surround one person and beat them. They are the worst cowards in the history of the world. So you do the math. Five assailants, you know, in, in, in the haste of the situation, you're going to miss some shots. And, and, you know, if you don't hit them in a major artery or organ, you know, when they're doped up on drugs, they're not going to stop. That was the whole deal with why um, the military went from uh, nine millimeter to 45 in the Spanish American War. They were in the islands there. They were all doped up on the on the stuff they were growing. Uh, you know, they'd come at them with the hatchets and they're, you know, firing their, their nine millimeters. It wouldn't wouldn't work. So um, that's why often you'll see these police shootings. Well, why do you shoot him 100 times? Well, gee, the guy wouldn't stop. So that's what you have here in Baltimore. They're all on drugs. They're not deterred. Oh, and by the way, if you do. So either you have to suffer a beating or you defend yourself and you kill the guy, assuming you have a license, which most people don't. And then they're going to put your name up on the Internet and you're never, never going to live a normal life again because you're going to be prosecuted. We almost had that happen to patrolmen close to one of our neighborhoods here where, um, you know, he was almost lynched for actually defending himself against one of these punks. So that is what it's like to live in Baltimore. Now, this is domestic crime. As you can see, we have enough of our own problems here. Why do we need criminals from other countries? And that's immigration. Now, I really did want to get to, I know a lot of you are asking me, what's with this third-party asylum deal that Trump signed with Guatemala? Is it for real? Is it going to work? I have a lot to say on that. We'll see if we have time today. We might have to push it to tomorrow. But I scheduled a very special guest for today because I want to show how illegal immigration and the cartel smuggling is making, is eventually going to make the other parts of America, like Baltimore as well where they don't have it naturally from their own population, we're importing a violent population. Now, as all of you know, obviously I wasn't planning on talk- talking about Baltimore when I scheduled Sheriff Mark Lamb to come on this show. Sheriff Mark Lamb is from Penal County, Arizona, because this thing erupted. The Twitter spat between Trump and Representative Elijah Cummings happened over the weekend. But the truth be told, there's a very important lesson there. The juxtaposition is unbelievable. I live in a lawless jurisdiction where criminals are victims. Victims are criminals. Police are, are, are criminals. Um, illegal aliens are welcomed. Sheriff Mark Lamb of Penal County, Arizona, was elected as their 24th sheriff in 2017 or was elected in 2016, served in 2017. He is a 287G county where they actually, you know, like help the federal government enforce the laws like state and local law enforcement do on an array of federal statutes. They help enforce them against Americans. So certainly you would think we would do so against illegal aliens. He is a, a 287G county. He doesn't have these problems because he is America sheriff, as he as he's often called. Big cowboy, tall guy um, walking around with the cow, cowboy boots. Uh, doesn't put up with lawlessness. I wish I lived in Penal County or had a sheriff like that here. But you know what? He is starting to have problems, not internally from his people, but from things that are beyond his control at a local level, because he is just 70 miles away from the border, right right above Pima County, above Tucson. If you want to look at a map of Penal County, because that's going to be very important, this discussion. So with no further ado, it's an honor to welcome as our first guest, to our video podcast, Sheriff Mark Lamb. Hey, Sheriff, how you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on. Well, it's a shame we don't have video functions two way yet because I love for people to see how tall you are. <laughs> you're a, you're a big guy. <laughs> I guess um, you know it, it's good for scaring off Sinaloa folks. But could you discuss a little bit about how even though you're not at the border itself, you're right above the border. You are basically a border sheriff. Because of the Sinaloa yeah, you know, cartel. 
We live in a very unique situation. Um, the south end of our county, we're about, like you said, about 70 miles off the border. On the south end of our county, we extend into the Tahana Odom Indian Reservation. Now, that reservation actually extends into Mexico. So part of the reservation um, is on the Mexico side and parts on the United States side. And so we get a lot of trafficking that comes through the reservation into our county. We always have, you know, it was not uncommon for us to get uh, three to 500 pound loads of marijuana. Uh, we have people coming through our desert on a daily basis. We have scouts that live in the mountains, multiple scouts that live in the mountains that watch their product, protect it from law enforcement and also from rip crews. That's something that's very unique to us. Um, I'm not sure that any other counties really deal with the rip crew issues like we do as well. Now, rip crews are, are other drug dealers that are ripping off the drug dealers who are bringing it, uh, bringing the, the human beings and the uh, drugs into our country. Well, so, Sheriff, that, that's a very important point. And, and there's a lot of points you made there. The scouts in Spanish called the Hacones for the Sinaloa cartel and, and, and the ripoffs. See, what I was always into and, and and this is really the last number of weeks on this show we, we're talking about the need to designate the cartels as terrorists and to really go after them and all of the stuff they're doing on mexico side of the border and they control the flow of migrants into our country but you're telling us that you have this kind of cartel and cartel violence that you have on the other side of the border you have that on our border and you're not even a border county so 70 miles into our territory when you said we have scouts on the hills you mean cartel scouts right absolutely cartel scouts they're up there for about two weeks to four weeks at a time um they live in the mountains they have night vision firearms they have binoculars they have radios i mean very uh it's kind of technologically advanced but rudimental at the same time and um, and they'll stay up there and they'll help protect all these loads that come across. So, again, to you, this is just another day at work. But I think to a lot of American people, they'd be surprised that we have foreign national violent criminal that I would argue are terrorist networks. And they have networks of people with camo night vision, sophisticated to to a radios. They're armed on the hills not even okay a mile or two from the border they're in your county 70 miles away do you who, who goes after them do your deputies go after them or do the feds help you out with that i mean why aren't they rooted out well, you know we do root them out but you got to remember the cartel just like how they push human beings through they've got another 100 guys waiting on the other side that will gladly fill those scout positions um so you can take them out. They'll put another person up there. We probably, and I'm not exaggerating, we probably have 10 to 20 scouts living in mountains in our county um, that monitor the, the trafficking paths, that make sure the human cargo and the drug cargo get to where they're, they're supposed to get to. And we do, we go after them. It's hard because they're very rugged mountains and they're deeply entrenched. And when you... You can only really hike up there. We use our helicopters to scout them out. Um, we work in conjunction with Border Patrol uh, to do that. We also have a little ICE contingency as well uh, that works in our anti-smuggling unit. So we are working together. A lot of it is us. A lot of it is um, a cooperative effort with us and the feds. And uh, we were actually the first county in the country to prosecute them successfully. Initially, when we were having so many issues with the scouts, mm -hmm. we would catch them and the feds would say, well, we can't charge them. And we said, no, you, you've got to charge them. And they wouldn't charge them. And so we went to the state, to the county attorney and the county attorney um, actually had the guts to go out and, uh, and prosecute them for conspiracy charges, conspiracy to traffic uh, drugs. And we were, we were having successful convictions and then the feds finally got on board and started charging, you know, charging them federally as well. So we've been dealing with this problem for a long time and we do root them out, but they just come right back. 
they come right back. I mean, that, that's a real shame because otherwise you would be a pretty peaceful county. You have the resources you need for your county, but you are a rural county that on the one hand doesn't have a massive tax base like where I live. But on the other hand is even larger. What, what are you the size of Connecticut? Yeah, 55, almost 5,500 square miles for the size of Connecticut. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That is huge. So, yeah, there's plenty of places for them to hide. So you have the federal government that is failing to protect you from these external threats. I want to get into the Indian Reservation in a minute. But before that, um, could you explain just what happens in terms of deterrent? You know, you started to talk about prosecutions. I get that, that you guys are trying to prosecute. But the federal government, for example, they will not prosecute minors. So are you seeing the cartels bringing in a lot of minors to do their bidding, knowing that they're not going to face any reprisal? You know, we don't get a lot of that's a great question. We don't get a lot of the the young minors. I, I would say we probably do get a few that are in that. 16, 17, 18 year old category. The majority of what we get are adults and they're adult males. And mainly because it's a 70 mile uh, back through the tough desert, carrying a backpack full of a 30 to 50 pound backpack of marijuana or carrying, um, and usually they have a backpack full of electrolytes and sleeping bag and a few other things as well. So we are constantly out there trying to catch these people and they're very prepared. They wear carpet shoes. They wear camouflage clothes. I could take you down to our our desert right off the I-8 freeway, and you'd be shocked to see how many backpacks and camouflage clothes and uh, discarded water bottles and sleeping bags and, and everything down there. And we're 70 miles off the border. Could you explain some of the or describe some of the ill effects you have? So obviously, most of these people are not staying in Penal County. They're going to Phoenix and they're going really to the East Coast in California. I probably see the effects in terms of crime and MS-13 more in Maryland than you do where you are. But are you seeing some of the gangs being brought in from there? That's number one. Number two, if you could explain to our audience the bailouts that you see in there, what what that means and the carnage that your deputies have to deal with. You know, and that is one of the plus sides of it. We we take it very serious because we do feel that we are the last line of defense to stop these people from getting in further into our country. Now, fortunately for us, we don't, they don't stay here. For one, the drug prices are lower, much lower here than what they are in, let's say, Chicago or, or um, Iowa or any of those places. So the cartel doesn't necessarily want to keep those drugs here or the people here. We have a, a huge contingency of ICE and Border Patrol. So uh, the, the, the further north and further east they can push the bodies and the drugs, the better off they are. Now, we do see cartel crime, but not to the extent that you would think, and mainly because you don't eat where you crap. Um, and this is, they don't want, they don't want trouble. They don't want the heavy hand of law enforcement um, to come down on them. You know, they are see, terrorists. They should be labeled terrorists. See, Sheriff, this and is what bothers me. I'm bothered by that. They're too smart. Like you're saying, this is what the military, what you're describing is what the military calls a gray zone conflict. They don't want to go to black yeah. zone conflict because they don't want us to actually respond. But it, it is an invasion. It, 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 it is a sovereignty problem. They got the scouts there. But they're not going to, you know, God forbid, try to pick off your deputies specifically because they don't want to get the response. But we need to respond. No, we do. And, and we have. And luckily, we've had a president who's supported us. I don't have the staffing to go out and do it to the extent that I would love to do it every day. You've got to remember, every time I arrest somebody and I put them in my jail, I have to actually have a, do up a report. Uh, my guys have to go in and impound, you know, hundreds of pounds of drugs. Um, it takes, it takes its toll on my staff. I mean, it is, I don't just get to throw them in there and walk away. There's a lot of reports that go in and then you're always trying to tie them back to the cartels so that you can, you can take down the, the head of the snake as well. So and you mentioned bailouts. I mean, every, yes. I would say at least three to five times a week, we have a vehicle that will run from us and our deputies or border patrol or somebody will be pursuing them. And, uh, 
they'll, they'll with reckless regard, total disregard of our safety and our public, they will uh, drive at high rates of speed. Yep. And then as soon as they can get a little bit ahead of us, they will bail out, which means that immediately they'll just stop and, and you'll see eight, 10 people shoot out of a truck or a car. And now you've got one deputy or maybe two that has to deal with eight to 10 people that just shot out of a vehicle. And we may or may not catch one or two of them. We try to catch the driver. Even if we caught um, one of the passengers, I, it's hard to, to attribute all the marijuana in the back of the vehicle to that one person because he wasn't the driver. So there's a, there's just so much involved with it that the American people don't, uh, don't really get a yeah. chance to see or understand. And, you know, the media definitely doesn't want to put this out there. That's what bothers me, Sheriff, because where you are, it's direct. I mean, on the one hand, they're directly doing it. They're directly running in there. The cartel smuggling is out in the open. But on the one hand, they won't do really bad things. Like you said, they're not going to crap in their own hole um, because they don't want to draw attention there. Where the problems are evident are in places like the I-95 corridor in the northeast where you suddenly see all these MS-13 members and all these bad guys they got in, all the gotaways from the Border Patrol. But then there, it's just generic crime. You know what I mean? It, once it's away from the border, the media and the politicians, they're very good at covering up what is foreign national and what is external fundamentally because it's kind of internal. It's far away from the border, but really it's directly related to the border. Um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm just looking as I'm talking to you from a message I, I, I got from a border agent friend of mine. He said by 530 this morning. Now, this is in Texas. This is not where you are, but it's a similar story. We had an additional 442 uh, apprehended. And he said an unknown amount of gotaways. That's what they call them, the gotaways. Oh, yeah. And if I yeah. if my aviation unit, I look at it every day and, you know, we'll have a stat where we have 10 detections and maybe four apprehensions. So, mm. uh, we, we, you know, we don't, I'm, I'm going to tell your listeners, we're not catching a hundred percent of them. We, I guess I, yes. I look at it. I'm going to kind of veer just a hair. Mm. We, I look at it like Walmart. Walmart has their acceptable loss with, you know, whether it's damaged goods, stolen product, they have an acceptable loss of product yep. that they can, they can absorb and still turn a profit. Well, we have the same thing with the cartel. And the fact that the cartel over the last 10 years has not changed very much the way that they do change it, but just on looking at it on a macro level, they do not change it to significantly. So we are not even, we're not even hitting them at their acceptable loss rate, which may be, yes. I don't know, 10 to 20% somewhere in there. That goes to show you how much is getting through. And How right now they're making as much money. They're making as much money off of bodies as they are off of drugs. And that's the key thing when we talk about gotaways. So you, you see a lot of the drug trafficking, but it's the human smuggling. Um, you got to believe, and, and we know this from the intel from DHS, and I hear from Border Patrol all the time, that the worse you are, the more you don't want to meet an agent, right? So if you have a prior criminal criminal history, you were previously deported, you're not going to want to meet an agent. So they'll take the pawns that have never been here and they'll shove them at the border patrol, um, surrender themselves knowing strategically that that will take them off the line in these miles of the border. That's when they bring in the really bad people. And you know, when you see you detect 10 and you only catch four, well, those are who they are. And we're going to, they're going to show up in a city, um, murder, rape, lots of child molestation. We're seeing from that part of the world, lots of DUIs, things like that. So in that vein, I wanted to end on this note. Um, we've tried to do this in a series and we're going to continue covering every part of the border and its unique challenges. And one of the things you have in your part of Arizona, and I encourage everyone to to take out a map and, and, and look at this. But um, if you look at the the Tomo Odom reservation, massive Indian reservation, uh covering really central central west arizona what is it 70 miles of international border massive mileage there you guys cannot go there uh pima county sheriffs can't go there to arizona dps can't go there 
who is patrolling those miles of Indian reservation? And could you talk a little bit about the corruption and how much Sinaloa has just a free reign to do anything in there? All great questions. I mean, Border Patrol does the, the lion's share of it, but they're so busy doing humanitarian stuff right now. I mean, just with our aviation unit, just to give you an example, we actually had to respond to um, the smugglers call and say, hey, this guy's fallen out um, if they're nice enough to call. And we show up and this guy was left for dead. We had to find him. So now all the resources that we had in our, at our disposal are now dedicated to finding a guy who's about to die. When we did find him, he was laying underneath a tree. We had to give him three bags of IV to bring him back. And while we were dealing with that guy, there were seven more 911 calls for smugglers, um, who people who were either lost or hurt or injured, you know, are injured or, or, um, or fallen out. Wait, these are so, your deputies in addition to Border Patrol doing this? Yeah, because we have we have our helicopters and Border Patrol flies in our helicopters. The majority of their air assets cannot fly more than 25 to 50 miles off the border. So they use our air assets and we go out and assist Border Patrol in their mission trying to find these people. So we're so t- we're tied up trying to find these people and we're tasked with trying to catch the people trying to come into our country illegally. The cartel, they could care less. They don't give you a money-back guarantee. They charge you up front so they could care less whether you die or don't. They just want to make sure that they charge you and that if you are carrying drugs, that the drugs get to their final destination. Um, They could care less about these people, and that's one of the main issues that we fight is this is people in America need to understand it's not about immigration. The cartel is abusing people and children and women and raping women and using children as pawns, like you mentioned. Yep. Um, so we've got we've got that issue. Now, the Tahano Indian Reservation yep. does have a police force and we work very well with them. But this is a very remote. There's small villages. Um, there's a lot of unemployment and a lot of those people if the cartel is going to pay him a few thousand bucks to bring some people or some drugs across and get them to our county line, um, that's a very enticing offer for those people. We had a lady, we had an unfortunate accident where these, this unrelated uh, girl was calling and saying her boyfriend was trying to kill her 2.30 in the morning on a remote highway. Well, he did indeed... Uh, swerve and go head on with the only vehicle on the roadway at that time, which was a suburban with nine Guatemalans in there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the passengers was a lady. She was actually a enrolled member of the Tahano Dominion Reservation. And on scene, she told us that they transport bodies for the cartel. Um, we went to the hospital, interview her further, but she had died from her injuries before we could. So pretty much everybody died on scene. So we weren't able to get a lot more info, but here is a perfect example of of how they assist the cartel bringing people into this country. And I'm not, I do not want in any, I hope the listeners understand, and I'm not saying that this is, that all everybody on the reservation. Of course. There's just some people that are assisting the cartel, um, and we work as well as we can, but they don't have the manpower to, to patrol that. And if you really get, if you were to come down here, I could show you the natural landscape is conducive to it's filled them right into our County. I told a FEMA guy that came here to look at our helicopters and our aviation unit, because we really are a model of how you can work with the, the federal government border patrol and, and work towards protecting our country. But, um, I told the FEMA guy, I said, no matter what walls you build and no matter how much technology you put on there, Pinal County will always struggle because of, uh, because of the Indian reservation on the South end. If they don't ever build a wall there and they don't do anything, it is so easy for people to traverse those back roads and yeah. walk through the desert and get into our country. But, and that is something that we will always fight. Because I, I just feel that that is something that even the good guys in Washington, and there are very few of them, they have no clue about this reservation and the challenges it um, presents us because of the dual sovereignty and they're kind of their own thing. You have the same demographic, as you mentioned, on the other side of Mexico to them. They don't recognize the border so much because historically it was, you know, the same, uh, you know, Indian territory. 
And again, it's not everyone, but there is corruption at some levels of the political leadership there. And there is, you know, the desperate people like you have outside the reservation. I've, I've heard people tell me they themselves have been um, approached by smugglers uh, to use their oh, land. So, have, yeah. We have 20. We took the news out. And in two nights, we had 22 apprehensions. 17 of them were illegals. Five of them were American citizens. One of those illegals had been convicted of a of sex with a minor in California and was trying to come back into the country legally and we mm. caught him. Um, you have all sorts of people coming across. What the cartel will do is the cartel will have these guys go and marry natives or, or hook up with the native women and they've got, they've got an in there. Now they're yeah. part, they're integrated into these communities um, they integrate within those families. So th- there are so many dynamics to it that thank goodness we have a president who's fighting for it, who's, who's um, talked about putting the tariffs on Mexico. That alone has definitely reduced the amount of traffic because Mexico has gotten involved on that side. Um, in my county, we don't get any give ups. Everybody runs from us. Everybody yeah. is trying to avoid detection. And it's a fight that we fight every day. Well, that that's very unique. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're the backstop. So you're going to deal with all those runners that my border agent friends say got away from them on the Arizona side. They're going to come to you. Isn't it true? Just real briefly that in the, so you have that, um, total Odom, uh, Indian reservation coming right into, um, Pinal County Southwest corner. There goes up very high that you'll often have the runners, that know it's kind of a free reign in some parts of that reservation, you'll catch them and they'll say, no, we were caught on the reservation. Yeah, we actually, I can think of one, you know, it's happened many times, but I remember we caught this coyote, um, which is, you know, the term for somebody who is in charge of smuggling all the drugs or the people we caught them. And he says, Hey, you can't charge me. I was on the reservation and we took out a map and showed him where he was and that he was not on the reservation. And he's like, ah, all right, what's, what's my plea offer. (laughs) So they know full well what our rules and laws are. Um, they're not dumb. They, this is a very, this is a billion dollar industry. And you have people that are very savvy out doing it. And if you really think about it, The average, if you are a criminal, if you were a felon that got caught here in America and you got shipped back, you're not going to go through the regular border patrol checkpoints anymore. Now you're going to go through the desert because that's your best chance at getting back into the country. So we get a lot of unsavory people coming through um, our county because those are the people that have already been caught or they're trying to avoid detection or they're just professional drug runners. There's a lot of these guys that are very, they make a lot of money at it and they will bring, they will run drugs and people into our country um, and they make a lot of money doing it. And that's a very desperate situation to be in. I mean, as you're patrolling, just remember about 1.8 million criminal aliens have been deported in the last decade or so. So that's a lot of people that are trying to come back in. And now that they have this opportunity with the crisis with border patrol, just being totally tied down with this bogus asylum stuff. uh, That is a very scary thought in the secondary counties where you're going to get them. And because of the terrain, you got the Indian reservation where they seem to really be able to smuggle in there. I don't know why Congress doesn't hold hearings on that, on that reservation and the challenges it, it, it poses to your state, but you know, Mark, they're, they're out until September now, at least in the house. It's uh, their, their work is done. (laughs) And one of the other issues I want to bring up, too, is that you don't see a lot of it in the media. And some of that is our fault. And it's not a bad thing, but you got to remember, we're always trying to cut the head off the snake. So there are a lot of cases that we get that we cannot publicize. I cannot go out into the media because we're we're trying to work it to a higher level and we can't. But, but, but then it allows them to deny it. And it, it drives me nuts. I mean, this is what, what we're driving at every day. There's every day Americans are killed by illegals every day. I, I can't even keep up with the child molestations. But the problem is every time an illegal dies, 
there could be eight of them in an entire year in ICE custody, which, by the way, is a better track record than federal and state prisons, their mortality rate. And they die of natural causes. And it's their fault. And we know their biographical information. We know their name. But we never know every day we report on all this stuff, the ill effects on Americans. And, and, and you've mentioned some that other people don't think of. I mean, why should your citizens have to pay for all these 911 calls, you know, people trying to kill us with drugs yeah. and then they they themselves get into trouble. You're a very sparse county. Um, you know, it's hard to get to people who are in need of help. And then you have some of your your deputies uh, diverted to deal with this. Yeah, if, if we take anybody to the hospital, so let's say I arrest a guy that uh, had a backpack of marijuana, but then he's sick because uh-huh. of this 70 mile trek across the desert. If I have to take him to the hospital from in while he's in my custody, my county pays for that. Um, when they jump over the wall and break their ankles down in Yuma, we're paying for that. The American public pays for all of their health care once they're in this country. If the Americans just knew the cost that it that it took, that it the toll that it took financially on the taxpayer. It's they would lose their minds. They would be climbing from the rooftops for Congress to do something and declare them terrorists. I mean, it is such a burden on us. And not to mention the hole in the economy that it leaves when these people come here illegally and they work under the table and they send those monies back to Mexico and their other their yep. home countries. That's money we don't get back in our economy. That's money that should stay in the economy and that's what keeps the economy running. But you take yep. that huge hole because that money goes to a different economy. It's all in 1182 of eight USC. You know, they're inadmissible if they're going to be a public charge. They're inadmissible if they come for unskilled labor. Um, they're inadmissible if they're criminals. But, you know, we just don't enforce them. Um, and we don't have lawyers for the American people and the American sovereign and sheriffs and local law enforcement to actually enforce the law. We only have lawyers for illegal aliens to subvert our laws. Um, we're just about out of time, Sheriff, but you're going to become one of our regular uh, border experts we have on the show. Border sheriffs really appreciate your time. Boy, boy, are you a contrast from what I'm dealing with here? You know, here we have people that don't want to enforce the laws as local law enforcement leaders in our area. And you guys are trying to do it. But, you know, you have the federal government um, at the border, at least at the border level, uh, shoving so many of these problems on you that you shouldn't have to deal with. We're going to keep yeah. an eye on that on that. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, Folks, thank you. And yep. just one last, I just want to okay. say thank you to our, to our president, President Trump. I, I, you know, what he's done for us in law enforcement and also to support our border. And hopefully you listeners out there, there's a lot of people that um, – Hopefully they understand the good things that he is doing for our country and how he's fighting for freedom. So thank and, you. And exactly. We got to keep him on message, keep him on track. When he pushes a good idea, we got to you know take it past the goal line, not just at the goalpost. We got to make sure it's implemented. We got to make sure we fight legally, politically, policy wise. That's what we're here for. Um, send me your comments, questions for the sheriff. If you want me to ask him offline um, and have him back in the future till tomorrow. This has been another episode of the Conservative Review Podcast.